Father, we're dependent now upon you speaking to us through your word, upon you doing it. I'm thankful, God, for the honor and the opportunity is to get to discuss your word, proclaim it. I'm humbled, God, that you would use our human personalities with all of our frailties and missteps, God, and still use that as as the casing through which you would let your truth come. And so, God, I just ask that for every heart that would say to you that they would want to listen if you would speak. God, would you please honor that request? God, I'm asking you to. I'm expecting you to. We've sung that if we come and open our hearts up to you, that, that you will be all that we need, that you will fill us up with exactly, precisely what we need. God, in ways that we maybe weren't expecting to hear or in ways that I, I would have no idea, no intention of proclaiming, would you let your word land on our hearts and let us know that we've heard from you, please? Not because we deserve it, but because we need it. Because you're worthy of the glory that you get in that kind of interaction. God, would you make your word clear to us? Let us leave here knowing that we've been with you, heard from you. Let us leave here aiming to see our lives be changed actively by your word. We ask all this for your name, Jesus. Amen. So, it was October of 1989. I was seven. I don't remember the exact date, but I remember the moment very clearly because I had just said a very regrettable statement. It was regrettable because of who I said it about, it was regrettable because of what it was going to mean for me. We had been my second grade class the day before to the pumpkin patch. And we had gone and everybody got to pick out a pumpkin. That was part of the entrance fee that I'm sure my parents paid. And, and they gave us a pumpkin. We were supposed to bring it the next morning to school. And on the way to school, I asked my mom several times, can I please just carry my pumpkin? And, and she wasn't cool with me as a seven-year-old carrying my own pumpkin. Um, this was not your small little decorative pumpkin. I know people paint pumpkins now. We do all this, this hoity-toity stuff. This was like real pumpkin, okay? This was the real thing with the guts in it that can make a mess, the whole nine. And my classroom was on the second story of the school building. I was going to have to haul that thing up some stairs. And I kept asking. My mom kept saying no, and I was just frustrated about it. Felt like a baby, and so my mom gets out of the car with me because she's going to carry the pumpkin. And I sprint up the stairs to the classroom because I don't want to be standing next to her while she's carrying my pumpkin. And I'm walking in the classroom. A couple of my friends are walking in. Guess what they're doing? Carrying their pumpkins. <laughs> we walk in. They hang a left as we go through the door to go back into the mudroom area where we would hang our backpacks. That's where we were supposed to bring our pumpkins. They took theirs there. I just kind of wandered in behind them and was just kind of standing there. And they're asking, Jason, where's your pumpkin? You got, did you not get a pumpkin? And I said something to the effect of, yes, but my stupid mom won't let me carry my pumpkin. And it was right about that time that my mom rounded the corner. I don't know if you've seen 101 Dalmatians, but Cruella DeVille's eyes where it's like fire in them, like just looking at them, you could feel the heat. It was like my mom was like, I could feel it, right? And my mom excused my friends from the mudroom, and she closed the door on each side of the mudroom, and then she wore my backside out, boy. Talking about she lit me up the way she should have. I'm thankful for it now. But just seeing her in the corner, I was like, oh, my goodness, I've hurt her feelings, and, and I know what's about to happen to me because, right, Dad, you might, get, you might work your way out of a spanking with Dad. Even when Dad did spank you, he was trying to make sure he didn't use too much force and hurt you. My mom was trying to make sure you remembered it. And so she brought it. 
all this trouble come into my little seven-year-old life because ultimately there was a drumbeat in my soul that is still there today, though I hope it's much more faint. And it's a drumbeat that's in your soul too. And it's this statement. It's, I can do it by myself. You may not have thought about it lately. You might not have ever come to grips with it or realize it in you, but it's part of our human nature to think, quote, unquote, I got this. I can do this. I can handle this. And so it's so hard for us sometimes, so humbling for us, embarrassing sometimes, maybe even painful sometimes for us to ask somebody else for help. You ever in a moment of absolute need when you can't do it for yourself had to scream and ask somebody for some toilet paper? I've never had that happen. I hate that for you. <laughs> I heard from the chuckling that it has, though, right? You, you ever had to ask that and go, hey, man, that's just not a fun moment to have to ask for help. You ever had to ask somebody to jump your car off, and not just because the battery's dead, but because you left the lights on in the parking lot, maybe even the, the radio playing? It's really obvious what the problem is, and you're sheepishly looking at somebody going, hey, can you please help me out here? Maybe a little more progressive up the ladder of seriousness is you ever had a newborn and thought, hey, I, I got this newborn baby at home. I read all the books. I went to the classes. I did the stuff. It didn't tell me anything about this exact situation I'm in right now. I got to ask somebody, but I don't want to seem like the mom who doesn't know or the dad who doesn't know what to do. It's hard sometimes to ask. It's hard to ask when our marriage doesn't make sense anymore and we're looking to somebody else and, and we know that we need help, but to say that we need help so difficult when we need a little financial help be that in the moment at walmart where you pull out the money to pay or your card's not working you're you're like 50 cents off and you don't have enough and you've got a basket full of groceries and it's like this is weird and you got to look at the person and they're going yes just to get you out of my way i'll give you a dollar or if it's that kind of financial help or even financial advice where you go hey we're in a ruins and i need somebody to look into this and as they look into your world to help you go oh your soul wants to hide Man, be it relational struggle, be it family tension, be it mental health, be it whatever it is in our world. It's so hard to ask for help. We oftentimes wait until we are absolutely at crisis point, at rock bottom, before we would ask somebody else for help because it just it's not something we want to do. It's painful. It's embarrassing sometimes to ask for help. How much more true... Is that in our spiritual lives, in our journeys with Jesus? Especially you've been walking with Jesus for a while. You, you claimed him some time ago. Right? It feels weird. At this point, I should know. I should have it figured out. I shouldn't have to ask such an elementary, basic kind of question about what it means to honor God in this way in my life or about what it means to understand what God's showing me of himself in Scripture. Man, I, I don't want to have to ask that question. And yet, we're going to see today... That, that God has made it such that you literally cannot do the Christian life alone. It's impossible. He's made us to be people who need each other. As we've studied through for several weeks now, this is week 10. Man, it's going by fast to me. I don't know about you, but this is week 10 for us studying through the book of Philippians. What we're seeing is that we serve a God who is way more concerned with our experience of happiness than we are concerned about it ourselves. We see this word joy, this intense, resilient happiness based in Jesus. We see that word joy over and over again through the letter of Philippians. God cares enough about your happiness to tell you that you can have it and whom you can have it in. His name is Jesus and how to enjoy it if you do have Jesus, how to live in what you have. And that's what he's doing in the book of Philippians. 
last week, one of our deacons, Mr. Shane Preston, did such an awesome job of sharing God's word. We're so blessed as a church to have people gifted to teach. And he did an awesome job. He pointed out for us that, that one of the ways that God calls us to enjoy the happiness we have in Jesus is to keep our focus forward. To not get stuck in our past failures or past successes, but to be looking forward into our walk with God, our journey forward in faith. What is God doing now and where is he taking me in my next step? So I want to I want to forget the stuff behind me. I don't want to focus there. I want to go forward with God. And there's a lot of joy in this mindset of a forward focus with the Lord. It sounds sweet, doesn't it, that you would be able to let go of some of the thoughts that try to crowd you from behind and be able to focus forward. It sounds like an amazing opportunity because it is an amazing opportunity available to us in the power of the indwelling spirit. But it also sounds like something that's pretty hard if you're going to actually do it. If you're going to actually live that out and keep your focus forward, you're going to need some help. And I believe that's why Paul would say this as we pick back up Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. We just read kind of three points as I can see it in the overall. It's that Paul says, be imitators. You're supposed to be a people who's dependent on having faithful examples, and then you're supposed to imitate, to mimic, to follow the examples before you. Be imitators. In a, in a world and in a culture that screams to you, you be you, and you just do you, and whatever feels good to you, do it. The Lord says to us through his word, you be faithful and like Jesus, and watch the faithful examples before you. That's where you'll find some gladness. He says, be imitators. He tells us who to follow. He also tells us who not to follow. We'll see some characteristics of the folks that we don't need to follow, that we don't need to look to for our faith example. Verses 18 and 19, maybe the same folks that he's already talked about previously in the letter when he said, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Could be some false teachers, possibly, maybe the same folks. But he gives us these characteristics. One is that he says their God is their belly. (laughs) You ever thought about that statement a whole lot? Their God is their belly. You ever walk around the house like, well, I don't know. Feeling like my belly telling me what I got to do right now. (laughs) Paul here is talking to the physical experience in our lives, being uh, running uh, dominant in our lives. He's saying you are following that experience. He could be speaking more specifically to those who have certain rules about food and don't touch this and don't do that. and, And by that structure and that discipline, they think that they are somehow achieving more favor from God be speaking to them he he might be speaking just to an attitude or an approach of sensuality that word sensuality may be a weird one for you we usually use that word referring to physical intimacy which is a fine application but it's bigger than that it literally just means following your senses with no filter it means your sense tells you what's to do your your eyes your ears your touch it says do this and you go got it (laughs) 
could be referring to restricting ourselves. He could be referring to just living with absolute lack of restraint. But either way, he's saying, listen, if you see somebody who's living and letting just their impulse drive them, their physical desire drive them, be that with food or whatever type of, if that drives them, if that leads their life, beware. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, meaning that they take a lot of pride in the very things that keep them from Jesus, the very things they won't lay down to receive Jesus, the stuff that causes their need for Jesus, and yet they cling to it instead of saying, Jesus, please come because of this. They take pride in the things that should be their shame. Why do those two things happen, this God of your belly and this this, this pride and shameful things? Maybe it's because it flows from a mind, he said, that's set on earthly things. The word there is earthly, it's not worldly. Usually when we see the word worldly, it's referring specifically to moral negativity. It's something that belongs to the world as opposed to us as Christians. Here it's just earthly, which I think just means just basic, just just temporal stuff. So it's not necessarily morally negative stuff, but it's focused on in a mind that is set on in a life that therefore is driven by a focus on the stuff that's not going to last forever and in the end is not ultimately going to matter a whole lot. Man, that's a really easy life for any of us to live. I'll raise my hand and say, me first. We live in a world where new information and opportunities fly across our minds just just crazy rapid speed. So easy to get lost in something that's ultimately not going to matter very much. Crimson Tide football, been there. Y'all bulldog people can do it too. (laughs) Right? Just, just random stuff you can just get lost in. Can I be honest with you? This is, this is honest. This is so silly. It's such a weird little trinket in my life. But, man, pray for me. I wake up in the morning, and, like, I just almost feel like I can't breathe until I play Wordle. <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to. If you don't know Wordle, it's just you just spell the letters with the words you're giving. You're trying to guess the word. And then not just Wordle, but there's also another game called Spelling Bee. When you finish Wordle, they advertise Spelling Bee. I click that one day, and my life's over. I play Spelling Bee every day until I guess enough for them to leave me alone with that. And it's times when I enjoy it, but there's also times when it's like, this is running my world. (laughs) The most ridiculous, small things, things that would maybe be great fun in the right moment. He says, listen, these people that you don't need to follow, people, when you look at their life, their life is guided by not faith in things that we can't see, not in an eternity that shapes our present reality, but their lives are guided by these little things all around them. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe a bunch. But that's what their life is about. And therefore, their end is destruction because they're enemies of the cross. When you destroy something, you ruin it. You make it no longer what it was and no longer useful for what it was useful for. I don't don't know why, but the picture in my mind is of a, a scrapped car when they just keep slamming it and packing it together, right? And it just ends up being just this metal hunk. It's not ever going to be that car again. It's just destruction and that's how it's going to end for people they're going to be in this place where they're just not ever going to have an opportunity again to use their lives for the glory of God in the way that they were created to that they had opportunity to he says listen this is the people that you don't need to follow and I just got to point out really quickly because it just really grabbed my heart as I was preparing to, to preach this morning 
You see that Paul says that, that he's mentioned these things, these people. He's cautioned the Philippians and others that he writes to and preaches to. He's mentioned it to them, it says, multiple times. He says, I've mentioned it to you before, and I tell you again now, how does he tell them? With tears. Love this because it looks so much like Jesus. Paul cares so much for the Philippians that, that he is absolutely stating facts about these false teachers that are trying to get their attention. He's not trying to tiptoe around it. He's being really clear. He's absolutely certain that it's what it needs to say, but he's also absolutely saddened that it is their reality. We as followers of Jesus should look at those around us who don't know him in that same way. Where we go, hey, I care for you enough that I'm wanting you to hear truth clearly, but I also am so saddened and I just love you so much that it moves my soul. Because he's in tears. Paul says, be imitators, but don't be imitators of these because I've just told you who you should be imitators of. Check it out and see if it looks like humility. He says, right, be imitators of who? Of me. (laughs) Paul goes, when I'm trying to think of the best person I can tell you that you should set as a faith example for yourself, I came up with myself. (laughs) That doesn't sound super humble. He says, be like me, imitate me, follow me in the faith, and follow those who... Think like I think. Follow my friends in the faith who are like this, that are having this forward-focused mindset. They're living their lives arranged around, aligned around Jesus. Doesn't mean they don't go to the ballpark. Doesn't mean they don't enjoy the TV show. Doesn't mean they don't, 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 don't. It just means that if they do, they're doing that as the overflow of a life that is first and foremost pointed forward at Jesus and what Jesus is doing in them and through them. He says, be imitators. Could you today stand and look at somebody and say that to them? Hey, follow me. The way Paul says it, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So, hey, if you see me not following Jesus, don't follow that. But as long as I'm following Jesus, follow me. Could you say that to somebody? Should you, the place you're in your life, say that to somebody? That can seem overwhelming, right? Some of us, if we're being honest, would go, I don't know that I could really, I don't know that God really would want me to. But understand this, it's clear all throughout Scripture, and we need to wrestle with it today. Our happiness is bolstered by following faithful examples and by being faithful examples. That the happiness and the joy that we have in Jesus, God has designed it such that this joy we have in Jesus, it is strengthened, it is supported, it is bolstered up by two things that we see in this text for sure. And one of those is when we decide, I'm going to be a faithful example in the lives of another. And the other is is when I say I am going to find those faithful examples to attach my life to and follow, we are bolstered by that. Our happiness is made stronger. So if you're sitting here today and you're seeing up on the screen a a big word, happy, with a question mark, and your honest answer is not really. Your honest core answer is absolutely not at all, but I don't want to tell anybody. Listen, there can be multiple factors influencing that, that's for sure, but none of them rise up to the level of the truth of Jesus and the supremacy it has to bring joy to our hearts. And he's saying to you, listen, if you're you're not in that place of joy in Jesus, then then here's the first thing I would say is be like Paul in the fact that Paul is saying, hey, listen, follow me as I'm following Jesus. So be a faithful example in the lives of others. And then heed Paul's teaching. He says, follow the example of others. How do we know that we're ready for that, to, to say to somebody, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus? We're ready to go to somebody else and go, hey, You know, I feel like I see you following Jesus. I need help with that. How do we know that our lives would even meet the qualifications to be ready for that? It's really simple. Paul says, look at those and keep your eyes on those as you're imitating us. Keep your eyes on those who do what? 
walk. They walk according to what they've seen and heard from us. They're walking according to the gospel. To be really clear, when we're talking about walking, there's a couple of things that are true of walking. One, walking is willful. You never walk on accident. You never walk in the same way that you blink your eyes. You blink your eyes a bunch of times every day and don't think about it at all. It just kind of happens. It's involuntary. When you walk, there's something up in your brain telling your muscles to get on board, and they're going, yes, sir, and you're walking. It's willful. It's not just willful. It's also repetitive. So if you stand and, and you just lift one foot and put that one foot back down once, you're not walking you are in a room and you see somebody doing that, they may just be stretching. They might be resituating. They got a little bit uncomfortable for a second. They pick one foot up, put it down. You see that in a room. You don't say, look at that guy over there walking because he picked his foot up one time. No, walking is repetitive. Listen, make sure you hear this. It's not perfect. It's just repetitive. It's willful. It's repetitive, but it's not perfect. So when you trip your way up a curb... You step it a little bit short, and then you take a three good hard steps that look just absolutely out of whack, and then you get it straightened back up. You tripped, but guess what? You're walking. One of my favorite things to do in junior high school, this says a lot about me, right? We used to love to cag each other. I don't know if that's even a word. If y'all have used that in Georgia, I don't know what it means. But when we talked about cagging, we meant I'm going to come up behind my buddy while he's walking and doesn't see me. I'm going to take my foot, and as he lifts his foot to take his next step, I'm going to kick his foot to the side and make him trip, right? Used to love to cag somebody. Man, one of my favorite things to do. Listen, but if you get cagged, guess what? I never cagged anybody. They fell on the floor and just laid there. <laughs> I always cagged people and they would just kind of trip up and maybe turn around and then you, they'd hit you and you'd pinch them somewhere probably that hurt really bad, right? You, whatever, right? You'd have this interaction, but they kept going. They kept walking. The stumbling didn't stop the walking, but what if you even fall? What if you did? <laughs> one of my favorite memories when I was 14 or 15, my best friend's mom took myself and my two best friends to the movie theater and dropped us off. And as we were getting ready to go into the theater, we were buying our snacks. Sorry, mom and dad, I probably spent a lot of your money. I'm just thinking. <laughs> buying snacks and me and my buddy Clay are standing here. We just got our stuff. And we see across on the other side of the concession counter our other really good friend. And he's got what was called the Cobster because we were at a Cobb theater. And I'm not talking about the Cobb popcorn and I'm not talking about the Cobb drink. I'm talking about both, okay? So he was walking around carrying a drink and a popcorn. looked like he needed to have brought a shopping buggy, okay? He's, he's carrying stuff like this. And I guess he just so happened to step on some Coke on the floor or something. But when I say that he bit it, I'm talking about he fell. Nobody has ever fallen better than he fell. If you're in a class about walking, they could say, watch this so you'll know what it looks like if you're not doing it because you're falling, Okay? He fell so hard, stuff went flying everywhere. He had to have refills. He fell so quickly. I've never seen anybody fall so quick. The only thing quicker than that that happened that night was how quickly Clay and I laughed at him. I don't know if he was even fully on the ground yet, and we were just, like, we, were just we lost it. Right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing about my buddy BJ. Falling at the movie theater, embarrassing moment, popcorn everywhere, sticking onto him because he's wet with soda. Here's the thing about it. That was 25 years ago. He has done a whole lot of walking since then. He's not still laying in the floor of the theater. People are not showing up to see a movie today, a matinee, and they're like, who is the Robinson Crusoe bearded, mangy-looking guy laying in the floor? Why? Because he kept walking right now today, unless there's something weird about his rhythm this week, he's probably right now standing on a stage, walking back and forth, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He fell, but he's walking. 
And I'm saying that to you with such great vigor because it's a fun memory. But much more important than that is this. If you trip and stumble in your faith, and even if you feel like you're tasting the dust on the ground because you've fallen so hard, as long as you continue to walk willfully, repetitively, you are walking. I said it before, I'll say it again. I'm sure I'm stealing it from somebody. We don't have a father who yells in our face or berates us when we're learning to walk, and yet we trip after a couple of steps. We have a father who cheers for us and celebrates us and picks us up and helps us to continue to walk so that we now maybe can take three steps or four or five. Paul says, listen, if you want to see who you can follow, because you've got to follow somebody. You've got to have some faithful examples in your life. You cannot do this thing alone. If you want to see what it's like to, to live with a forward Jesus focus, you're going to need these examples. And as you're trying to figure that out, who that would be, look for people, not ones who are perfect, but ones who are walking regularly. Walking regularly informed by the gospel. Some ideas about what that might mean. It would mean that you're spending time in your life intentionally seeking Jesus. Be that in your car, be that whatever. But there's some times where you go, hey, all this other good stuff in my life, I'm pressing pause on all that to do only one thing. I, I get to do this one thing while I do other things, but this one thing matters so much that I'm pausing all that to say, this is where I seek Jesus. And sometimes it may feel rich and rewarding, and sometimes you may be like, man, I just spent some time, and I don't know what just happened. I didn't sense God at all in that. I'm not sure I heard from him clearly at all. Okay, keep walking. You're seeking Jesus. You're seeking to honor Jesus in the way that you live your life and your decisions and your finances and your relationships and what you let into your brain and therefore your heart. You're seeking to honor Jesus. Part of seeking to honor Jesus in those decisions is seeking to put to death sin that you see in your life. That you're not just going, hey, I know it's wrong and hey, I'm hoping it changes, but you're just going, I'm intentionally putting to death the things in my life that take my heart and my attention away from Jesus, the things in my life that don't honor Jesus when people see it. I want that stuff gone. I'm seeking Jesus. I'm seeking to honor Jesus. I'm seeking to kill sin. And I'm seeking to show Jesus to others. I want to use my life for his purposes. I want to be one of those people who can look at somebody else and go, hey, I don't have it all figured out, but I want to help you take your next steps in faith. Let's do this together. Follow me as I follow Jesus. What does it look like for you today to embrace the fact that you need help? If you're going to live a life that's truly zoned in on Christ, not perfectly, but regularly, repetitively, willfully walking towards him. If you're going to do that, how do you need to respond today? What actively do you need to do? Maybe you need to find an elder or a leader in this church and go, hey, I don't know if it's you or if you can help me get connected with somebody, but I need somebody. I sincerely do want to honor Jesus, but I've been trying to do it by myself for so long. And it's not working because it's not supposed to. I need help. On the flip side, maybe it means that you call that friend that's on your mind right now. Or you text them today and you go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of my intentions and onto my agenda. And I'm just going to say to you, hey, ladies, maybe you say, hey, listen, I, I love you, girl. And I'm, I'm sorry I haven't been in contact more often, but I don't know if this makes any sense to you if you're even interested in this. But if you're interested in trying to know and love Jesus together, I'd like to, like to help you with that. Guys, maybe you say it a little less flowery than that because we're guys. Maybe you go, hey, uh, Jesus, let's do it together, me and you. <laughs> now, seriously, man, what would it look like for you to, maybe it's a brother in the church. Maybe it's a 
person that claims faith at your workplace or a friend that has claimed faith and you hadn't seen them walk in that in a long time, you're not sure, what would it look like for you to actively go, hey, I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm aiming for it regularly and I'd like to help you walk. And you may be thinking right now, that feels really bizarre and awkward. That doesn't sound like stuff that I would say. And I would just say to you as a brother who loves you for the glory of God and for your happiness in walking with him, it won't ever sound like something you would say until you start saying it. It's, it's, it's awkward. So how much are we missing out on in the Christian life because we're scared of awkwardness with other people? Some of you in this room probably, I, I don't have one in mind, but I'm, I'm, some of you have probably gotten a text from me that says something like, hey, I'm sorry if this is weird, but I just wanted you to know, you know, the other day when I said whatever, if that hurt your feelings, I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intent. Or you've gotten a text from me that says, hey, kind of texting you out of the blue here, but I just want you to know for whatever reason you're on my mind, I'm praying for you, I wanted to encourage you with this verse. Man, when I first started trying to actually say things about Jesus out loud with my mouth to other people in, in environments that weren't quote-unquote church, felt really weird. It's just kind of life. Start. Don't, don't try to be the world's best and get a gold medal and you got 70 people that you're helping with the faith by Monday afternoon when we talked about it at church on Sunday morning. Just be faithful with one. Who do you need to pursue and say, I need somebody to follow. I need an example. Who do you need to pursue and say, hey, do you need an example? Walk with me in faith. Paul says, be imitators. Be imitators. Follow us. Don't follow those guys because and this is the stuff they've got going on. This is how you'll know the person not to follow. It's not just in what they're saying. It's in their walking. He says, they have a God that is their belly, their glory is their shame, their mind is set on temporal earthly things, and their end, therefore, is destruction. But he says, that's not us, that's not me. And I believe what Paul is doing here is glorifying God as he's celebrating the reality of his life that God has blessed him with. He says this, verse 20, it says, our citizenship, but, our citizenship, when you see the word but, it negates or minimizes what's been said before it. So it either says, hey, people are saying this, but, so I mean, that's not true. Or minimizes. It says, they say this, but, so that, that's true, but it's not quite as important because of what I'm about to tell you. He says, but, though these people live this way and they're getting a lot of attention, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, because of what I just told you, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I want you... To grip tight because if you want true joy in your life, you're not going to get it if you think that it's going to be this, I just raise my hand and say yes, and then it just easily flights into my life, and I always have it, and I never have to, to walk and have any turmoil or hard things to work through. He goes, that's not it. If you're going to have joy in the Lord, if you're really going to be sincerely happy in a way that, that can't be ripped down by all the junk in our world and in our lives, if you want that, you're going to have to stand firm in Jesus. See Paul's affection. He says, I love you. You're my joy. You're my crown. He's saying, I don't care about my personal accolades. What I care about being recognized is, man, look how awesome these people are that the Lord is letting me be invested in. He says, do this. Stand firm in the Lord. Maybe some help for how we could do that. A couple of things, and then we'll be done. 
He gives us two ideas, I believe. He says, our citizenship, you see that? Our citizenship is in heaven. When you are a citizen of a certain place, that means there are certain expectations of you and that you should have certain expectations of blessing as being a part of that place. We call them laws. We should obey by them. We should do them. And we also kind of expect that because we live in a place that's governed the way that we have, there are certain blessings we enjoy a lot of times without even thinking about them. But he says, listen, get this. The place that is most true to your heart, the place where your soul is at home, is not the broken, tattered, torn world that you live in. Because if you start to get zoned in and think, hey, this is where I live. Hey, I should act like this is my home place. Then things are going to get really weird in your life and trying to follow Jesus. Remember that your true home that you actually are a citizen of is somewhere else. It's in eternity in in the heart of God. You ever notice that you do certain things at home that you absolutely would not do anywhere else? (laughs) This may be more than you wanted. This wasn't planned until I was walking up here and then I was like, Lord, come on now. But I'm going to say it, right? When when I'm at home, sometimes one of the things that my wife can't stand and my daughter kind of thinks is funny because she kind of mimics part of it is when I'm at, at home, I will drink milk straight from the carton. Just being honest, some of y'all don't like me anymore. You nasty. Whatever, I don't care. All right, like I drink the milk straight out the carton sometimes. I paid for the milk. If I need to, we'll get another one. You can drink out of it, but I'm going to drink out of the carton, all right? I'm just being honest. We're going to take a little bit further. Sometimes I'll be in the kitchen in a pair of gym shorts, barefooted, no shirt, scratching my belly, drinking some milk, all right? It's probably about time to go to bed. <laughs> Now, check this out. If you invited me over for lunch after service today, (laughs) you said, hey, just go ahead and make yourself at home. I got to run back here and pick up something from this back room. I'll be right back. And you came back into the main room and into the kitchen, and I'm standing at your kitchen in my gym shorts, barefooted, no shirt, scratching, drinking milk. You're going to go, this is weird. Like, I love this dude. I know he loves Jesus. We're going to have to call some authorities because I don't know what is happening right now. Right? Why? Because you do that at your house, but it's weird if you take your home behavior into somebody else's place. Right? Those intricate details of life that you comfortably do where is your home, you don't do those things elsewhere. And Paul's saying, don't get fooled into thinking that this life you live, the place with the job that you're blessed to have, but also has a lot of stress and a lot of strain and a lot of hardship for you, the life that you live right now, that place with the family that you love because of your family, but also there's that tension that you haven't figured out yet and you're not even trying, all that broken mess around you, don't forget that's not home. Because if you think that's home, then you'll act like that's home, but that's not home for you. Home for you is a place where there's perfect peace and people praise Jesus all the time and there's no tears in anybody's eyes and there's beauty so richly that it can't even be adequately described by words. That's home for you. He says, you want to stand firm in Jesus and know what it is to walk with perseverance so that you can enjoy this happiness, then remember your home. And also remember that there's this Jesus who's coming back for you. The Jesus that can transform your lowly body. That can do this miraculous, supernatural thing that we can't possibly fully understand. That he can take your sin-scarred, sin-broken soul and the body that comes with it. And he can transform it into something that has no flaws and no pain anymore. No ache. But one that has all things subject to himself. The one that when he speaks, it happens. Right? The one who in flesh is the embodiment of the exact nature of our heavenly father who just said, let there be light and light just happened. He didn't say, let there be light and they started running wires and a switch. He said, let there be light and there it is. 
so hot it'll melt your eyes if you stare at it. He says, that one that speaks with that authority, that one who has all things subject to himself, that one who can do this miraculous thing in your life and will do that if you're his follower, if you hope in him alone one day. He's coming back. Listen, persevering faith is powered by choosing to remember both our home and our hero. You're not going to live consistently. I'm not talking about perfectly. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. But you're not going to live repetitively putting your faith muscles at work if you're not also taking advantage of God's spirit that says that he is a spirit not of fear and timidity, but one of sound mind and self-control. He's placed his spirit in you. You have some say-so over what you think about and focus on. He says, when you choose to, to willfully remember where your home is, and when you choose to willfully remember who your hero is, that will keep you in a firm footing to walk forward in faith with Jesus. My dad, as a kid, worked two full-time jobs. He worked a 40-hour-a-week more job during the day managing a, a large regional warehouse. And then he worked three twelves night shift at a fire station. And so as a little kid, I remember there'd be, he'd be gone for two or three days at a time sometimes just depending on how the schedule fell. And I would ask almost every morning getting in the car, is dad coming home today? How many days until dad comes home? Man, my dad was such a big piece of my world at that young age. Such that, that, that I'm waking up in the morning, one of the first things I'm thinking, when I'm thinking about coming home from school, I need to know, is dad coming home? The one that would take me to go get a shaved ice at the local stand on the corner. When mom would say no, I could keep asking dad. He'd be like, in the car. <laughs> My mom's really sweet, y'all, I promise. I don't feel like I'm putting that forward today. Whew. She had to deal with me all the time. He got me like once every four days. He's like, sure, we'll get one. <laughs> that dad who would take me and bless me and was happy to do that, that dad who could fix my rope swing, but I hadn't seen him in a couple days. I need him to come back and fix it, fix my swing set, fix my bike. I need him. That dad who, no matter how tired he was and how many days he's been gone, when he pulled in, if I was in the driveway waiting with my basketball, he would stop short of where he usually parked under the goal so that we could take some shots together. That dad was coming home, and it shaped the way I thought about my days because I was ready for my best buddy, my hero, my dad to come home to fix all the stuff and to spend the fun time with me. We are not going to walk happy lives in Jesus. We are not going to walk joyful, faithful lives if we are not committed by the power God has placed in us to remember our home and remember who our hero is. Oh, but if we do, if we do say, God, I'm committed to it, and I need you to remind me, and I need your power working in me to carry it out. But, God, I insist that I'm going to set you before me. I'm going to know you in your word. I'm going to remember who my hero is. I'm going to know that you're coming back. I'm going to know that when I don't see your hand, I know you're still at work, that you're fixing brokenness, maybe just in a way I don't understand. You're coming back, and I know that one day I'll be really home. That kind of persevering faith is powered when we choose to remember our home and our hero. Today, how do we need to respond to God's word? If you're here, you don't know Jesus. I used to be just like you. So did anybody in this room that does know Jesus. They didn't know him either. You're not an enemy. We're not upset with you. We're not mad at you. We're also not going to shove anything down your throat or try to make you say a certain prayer or a thing or a sign or a checka or whatever. Right? That's not our aim. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm saying to you that life with Jesus sometimes is even harder because now there's a new opposition against you in the world. 
But I'm saying to you that life with Jesus is so much better. That your worst day with Jesus is infinitely better than your best day without him. If you're here today, you don't know him. Will you, will you come find me when we're done? Come find a friend sitting around here, somebody you recognize maybe. Just don't do nothing with the fact that's sparking off in your heart going, hey, you don't really know that Jesus. You know about him. You've done some stuff. You've said his name a lot maybe, but you don't really know him. Don't do nothing with that. I urge you, friend, leave behind your ways and trust him in his ways and see what happens. Follower of Jesus sitting in this room, Dublin Bible Church. Who do you need to approach today and what does that conversation need to be? What temporal earthly things have we been fixated on that maybe today and maybe it's for the 7,000th time or maybe it's the first time. Either way, we have a God who's faithful to give us his ear if we're sincere. We need to go, hey, I'm, I've done it again. I've got caught up on this and this and this and this and it hadn't been caught up on you. I want my heart fixated on you, Jesus. How do we need to respond to him today? I know this. I know that worship is a response that it expresses the value of God. So if we let God's word today just bounce off the surface, the atmosphere of our consciousness and skip off and we do nothing with it, we haven't worshiped him yet. Based on what we've heard, how do we need to worship God today? Let's pray. Father, it is such a rich encouragement for me to know that this place is not my home. I, I love this life. I love Dublin, Georgia. I love these people. But God, I praise you and thank you and trust in you and expect that there will be a day when all the great things about here will be there and there will be no more of the other stuff. That you'll be there and that's probably about all we'll care about very much. Thank you that we have a different home. Thank you, Jesus. You are our hero. Feels weird to me to even say that out loud a little bit, but that's what you really are. You're our hero. You're my hero. I pray we would embrace you as such with zero shame and with committed willfulness. God, let us be a people who step over the threshold of social awkwardness. Step over the threshold of what you do and don't say about God to others. Let us be people who step over those thresholds and those barriers to live interconnected lives of faith together in the way that you've called us to. And let us see you blessing us as that happens. God, for each person in this place, God, I pray that you would make it clear to us what our next step of faith is. And I pray that you would give us the courage to take it not just for you, but with you love you, God. I desire to love you more than I do. Make that happen in us and start with me. I ask it all for your name, Jesus. Amen.